are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, good morning. Can't wait to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, I read this week something I wasn't aware of, but a few years ago, Dan Rather was interviewing Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Now, if you don't know who Dan Rather is, that just means you are really young, okay? But he was the CBS evening news anchor for years. And uh, so he says to her, Mother Teresa, uh, you tell me that you pray. So when you pray, uh, you spend a lot of time in prayer. When you pray, what is it that you actually say to God? And she said, I, I don't. I, I just listen. And it kind of, you know, got him off his footing for a bit. He didn't really know what to say because he really wasn't expecting that. And so um, he kind of had to regroup and there was a little bit of a pause. And you could tell that he was a little bit flustered and finally said, okay, well, what does God say to you? And she said, he doesn't. He just listens. And now he really didn't know what to say. And so she finally breaks the silence and a grin comes across her face and she said, and if you don't understand that, I don't think there's any way I could explain it to you. So before we beat up on Dan rather too bad, I've got to admit to you that there's a lot of things about prayer that I don't understand. In fact, it overwhelms me to think that, that I have, you know, as a human being, you know, this, this one in many billion people on the planet, that I had this opportunity to talk to the God who created everything, and He actually hears me, you know, and that God speaks to me. And sometimes we do that without words. I mean, to me, that's just really hard to grasp. In fact, there is so much about God that I don't understand. There's so much about God that I don't think I will ever fully grasp. And so when I just try to understand God, I mean, I would run from anybody who says to me, I've got God completely figured out. I can tell you everything there is to know about God. And so I'm not surprised that when it comes to this concept of Trinity that we're talking about today, this idea that God is one being, but He is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we would ever fully grasp that. And so, kind of as we come in on this cold morning and we're all kind of here close together, um, I don't suppose that you're going to leave here saying, oh, finally, I understand the whole thing. But I do think the conversation can be enlightening. And what my goal is probably more than that you understand the whole thing, because I don't understand the whole thing, is that you embrace even the parts that you don't understand. So you might remember that in December we were in a series called Wonder. And I challenged you to say, it's okay that there's a lot about God that I don't understand. In fact, embrace that. Admit to yourself that God is bigger than my understanding. God is too big for me to put in a nice little box and kind of take out and explain to people at show and tell. He is bigger than that. He is more complicated than that. And admit to yourself that it's okay that God involves mystery. There is something about God that I will never understand fully. 
And so this morning, let's just kind of dive in together into a conversation where we say, let's talk about the Trinity, knowing that when I leave here, I won't say I fully understand it, but maybe I will find new insight and I will find a way to refreshingly embrace this concept of Trinity. Okay? So that's what I want us to do. Uh, We're in a book study together called The Magnificent Story, written by one of my favorite authors. His name is James Brian Smith, and he helps me a ton in my own spiritual formation, my own walk with God. And so I'm going through the book because I want you to read him too. It's like the guy who you go to the restaurant with, and there's something there that he really likes to eat, and he wants to order what he orders. He wants you to order rather what he orders. So that's what I'm doing. I'm saying, I love this book, and I want you to love it too, okay? So in chapter 3, this is the premise, okay? And he says, we are invited to participate in this magnificent story of the Trinity, So just because you don't understand it, it doesn't mean that there are bars over the windows and the doors are bolted shut and you can't participate. No, everybody is invited to participate in this awesome story of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so I love the fact that that God is watching over me and Jesus is like an older brother who prays to the Father on my behalf. And the Holy Spirit is guiding me and speaking to me and leading me into truth and reminding me the teachings of Jesus. And so I am living every day of my life, life, I usually don't say life, you know, it's life, I know. But I'm living every day of my life and I get to participate in the most important thing that's happening on earth. And that is what the Father and the Son and the Spirit is doing. And the Father and the Son and Spirit is saying, Rick, come on and be a part of what we're doing in this world. And so God watches over me and loves me. Jesus is an older brother who prays to the Father on my behalf. And the Spirit is leading me every day of my life. So with that in mind, I want you to grab a Bible and go to the book of Genesis. Should be easy to find, chapter 1, okay? Genesis chapter 1, the very first words in the Bible I'm going to share with you. So what we have is this creation story in the beginning. What happens? God created. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. And so you kind of have this day-by-day play. First there was light. And then there was vegetation. Sun and moon and stars. And the days keep coming. There is the creatures living in the water. And then there's the birds that fly above the ground. And then there's the creatures on land. And then you get to verse 26. And here's what verse 26 says. Then God said, let us... Now, wow, what do you think that's all about? Why do you think God didn't say, let me? But he doesn't use a singular pronoun, does he? He uses a plural pronoun. So who is us that God's talking about? Then God said, let us make mankind in, and there you have it again, another plural pronoun. The plural pronoun is our. So God says, let us make mankind in our image. Why didn't God say, let me make mankind in my image? Because later he actually says that. I'll show you in a minute. In our, there's a plural pronoun again, in our likeness. So who is us and our? Is it the Trinity? So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Over the livestock, 
and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind. Now, here this is interesting, in His own image. In the image of God, He, not our, but He created them. Male and female, He created them. So this is the word of the Lord for us today. All right, so I love getting to say to you what I'm about to say to you. Let me share an illustration from Smith, okay? He said, I have this uh, student teacher, this intern, who works at the university where I teach, and and I ask him often to help me with um, these ministry outreach teams that we have. So we bring these students in and we do training before we send them out to do ministry, okay? And so he says, uh, this intern, he will write on the board the name God. And he will ask people to give them words that describe God. And then after he does that, he will write the name Jesus. So give me words that describe Jesus. And he said, invariably, this is what happens. When I ask them to write words on the board that describe God, these are some of the words that I get every time. God can be angry. God is all-powerful. He can do anything. God can be very distant at times. He said, but when I write the name Jesus on the board... And I ask people to give me words that describe Jesus. It's a very different picture. Oh, Jesus is very compassionate. And Jesus is very loving. And Jesus is forgiving. So no matter the student intern says to James Bryan Smith, no matter what class I have, a different makeup of students every time, university students coming in every time, I get the similar response. God can be angry. He's very powerful. He can be distant. Jesus, on the other hand, compassionate, loving, and forgiving. He said, then I turn to the students and I say to them that one day Jesus looked into the eyes of a disciple whose name was Philip. And here's what Jesus says. Hey, Philip, you understand this, right? I mean, you already know this, right? You get this, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is no difference in me and Him. We are the same being. It's not like one is loving and kind and compassionate and the other is angry and distant. The Father and the Son are the same being. Different persons, but the same being. Of the same substance. Of the same essence. Jesus is God come to earth. And so it may be that you read the Old Testament and you scratch your head and you try to understand what God is really like. And you get in the New Testament and you read about this loving, caring, kind Jesus. And you wonder 
You know, how do you reconcile the two? And Jesus is saying, don't you get it? Don't you understand it? We're the same. We're the same being. There's not a difference between the two of us. And the reason I think it's important is because somewhere along the way we become tempted. And this is a concern that Smith has, and I think it's a legitimate concern. We become tempted to lose our emphasis on the Trinity. I don't really get it. I don't really understand it. I don't, I don't quite, you know, have the ability to explain it to somebody. And so if we just kind of say, could we just not really emphasize that so much? Because I don't really fully understand it. It would be like saying, I don't really understand God, so could we not just talk about Him either? And, and, and the great question I think that Smith asks is, what is, the, what, is the, what is the problem? What is the concern about losing our emphasis on the Trinity? And so I want to I chat with you some about it this morning, okay? So you, you understand that, that you had these Jewish people, and they were following the one true God, Yahweh, and, and they're talking about one day the Messiah is going to come, and so finally Jesus himself shows up, right? And when Jesus shows up, there's great declarations made by Jesus himself about being divine, the Son of God. And, and there are others who are making the same kind of claim about Jesus. And God himself makes the same kind of claim about Jesus. When he says at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in him, I am very, very, very pleased. And so these Jews begin to really struggle with this idea that Jesus was God. And you can understand because there was something called the Shema. The Shema is a verse out of the book of Deuteronomy. And here's what the Shema says. They would, they would recite it. Every night when they went to bed, and they would recite it the first thing every morning when they woke up. And it's called the Shema because the word Shema in Hebrew means listen or hear. Okay? And so the Shema starts with that word, listen or hear. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God. You know what the next line is? The Lord is one. And so Jewish people began to struggle and say, well, how can Jesus be God if God is God? We were always taught there was one God, not two. And the struggle continued through church history for those first one, two, three centuries especially. And finally, in 325, at a council called Nicaea, there was great progress made. And in the Council of Nicaea, there was this understanding of saying, as we understand the Scriptures and as we understand the words of God Himself, Jesus is of the same essence as the Father and the same substance. It's not like God always existed and then somewhere along came Jesus. Jesus always was. And so what came out of that council was this understanding that God, rather Jesus, is co-eternal with God meaning that Jesus always existed and the Spirit always existed and the Father always existed and Jesus always will exist and the Spirit always will exist and the Father always will exist. So as you try to wrap your head around this um, and we kind of get into this conversation, um, we as Nazarenes have a statement in our book of discipline, an article of faith that says we believe in one eternally infant 
infinite, rather God, who is triune in essential being, meaning there's only one God. There's one being. But triune in being in the sense that He is revealed as the Father, He is revealed as the Son, He is revealed as the Holy Spirit. And so God the Father watches over me. Jesus the Son today prays for me to the Father on my behalf. And the Holy Spirit is always speaking to me. Three persons, one God. So you might say, okay, Rick, uh, I happen to be aware of some things, and I'm aware that the word Trinity is not even in the Bible. And that is correct. It doesn't come along until the third century. But throughout the Scripture, there is the reality of the Trinity. On more than one occasion, Jesus talked about his own godness, his own divinity. Okay? Do you remember when, uh, when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations? You should baptize them. How? And we just experienced it today, right? Every person we baptized, we said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you remember at Jesus' own baptism, it was the Father who said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, after the Spirit descended on Him. So all through the Scripture, you find Trinity. And even Jesus prayed in the garden, on the cross, many times prior to, praise to the Father. And so who should you pray to? Do you pray to the Father? Do you pray to the Son, Jesus? Do you pray to the Spirit? I, I use the instruction of Jesus when he said, pray like this, our Father in heaven. And so I pray to the Father in the Spirit through Jesus. And so you say, well, Rick, how, how does it work? Is it like, um, you know, you got like God and then Jesus is kind of under him and then the Spirit is kind of like a, you know, kind of a third place kind of guy. It's, it's not like that at all. They are one. And so that is not a good way to represent. It's more like a circle. Oneness. So how are we doing? Let me take you one more step, okay? Um, my wife, Annette, and I, we, um, we've had a day off through the week because Sunday we tend to work a lot on the weekends. And, um, and so... At this season of our lives, we were taking Thursdays off. Our, our daughters, Brittany and Morgan, they were in school at that time, grade school, little girls. And so we would try to have day dates um, on my day off. We would drop the kids off at school in the morning, and then we would take off and do something and, until we had to get back to pick up the girls after school. And then we would spend uh, the rest of our day off with them, kind of as a family night kind of thing. And so we would look for things to do. We, we still do that. We look for fun things to do on our day off. And somebody said, you know, we were living in Tennessee at the time. They said, there's this awesome little town. It's about an hour and a half away. And you guys should drive there one day on your day off. And uh, there's a great restaurant. You'll enjoy it. And so we did. 
we, we drove, I think the name of the town was Linville, Tennessee. So we drove out there. It took us about an hour and a half. And the town was only known for its history, in a sense. A train stop was in that little town. Real small town. And so a train no longer ran through, but they preserved the train depot. And they'd refurbished it and made it like a museum. And they had lots of stuff to read about the history of the little town. And then out in front of the depot, there was an actual train engine with a passenger car and a caboose. And, and the track actually stopped where the train caboose stopped and it stopped where the you know, engine started. There was just track it was setting on. The track didn't go anywhere either direction. And the reason was because the, the firebox had been welded shut. You could give this lady $2 each and you could climb around on the train and you could go in the depot and see everything. And then there was a restaurant there and the restaurant was called the Iron Horse after the train. Get it, Iron Horse? And you could go in and you could eat at the restaurant and the food was good. So we ate at the restaurant. We're climbing around on the train. We're reading all the plaques in the depot. And, and I get to this one part of the train and it's where the firebox is, okay? It's where you build the fire and the fire heats the water, creates the steam, and the steam is what makes the train go. But the firebox has been welded shut. There hasn't been a fire in that box for years. So you didn't need any track. Because the train wasn't going to move. It just sits there. And it had become like a museum in itself. It was really just a reminder of what used to be. So sometimes I think about the church. When I say the church, I mean us. And let's say you and I de-emphasize the Trinity in the sense that we don't really talk much anymore about the Holy Spirit. We don't really fully understand or grasp that, so we just kind of have let that kind of slide. Even though the Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit a ton, we don't really. And it makes me worry that the church, meaning you and me, we could kind of become like that old train. There's no fire in the box, so there's no power. So the train doesn't do anything anymore. It just sits there. And it just serves as a reminder of what life used to be like. And I think it's the same with the Spirit. If we kind of just push the Spirit to the side... And we don't talk about the work of the Spirit in our lives or the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we don't see any power among us. When it comes to not sinning. Or when it comes to seeing God do amazing things. And so when we get together like this, we don't really see God do anything major anymore. We're just kind of like a museum. We're just a reminder of what used to be. And we talk about when God used to do great things. Because we don't talk about the Spirit anymore. 
See, John Wesley said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, I believe the infinite and eternal Spirit of God is equal with the Father and the Son. I believe the infinite and eternal Spirit of God equal with the Father and the Son to be not only perfectly holy Himself, but the immediate cause of all holiness in us. See, I, I think Wesley was really comfortable saying every member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, have very definite roles that they play in our lives. And it is a Spirit that enables us to become holy as God is holy. The Spirit is where we find power to not sin, to walk in step with the Father. The Spirit is speaking to us, like reminding us of everything Jesus said. Enabling us to live a life here. When we thought we could only live a life here. And so let me just, let me just kind of go back to this Genesis account, okay? You remember these words, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Some scholars would say, well, maybe he's referring to the heavenly host of angels that's around him. The problem with that is the angels aren't really involved in the creative process. They don't create, right? God creates. And the more common belief is that God is speaking of himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the Trinity created. That God the Father created, God the Son created, God the Holy Spirit created. Let us make man in our image. You and I are made in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, Rick, you're going to base your whole idea of Trinity on those pronouns, banking on the fact that you really believe that that could be the case? You don't really have to. I think it's intriguing. Let me show you some other verses, okay? In this same section, Genesis 1, verse 2, God created the heavens and the earth. What does it say? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so the Bible tells us, of course the Spirit is there. Because the Spirit is God. Let me give you one example in the Gospel of John, okay? In the beginning was the Word. Word is logos in Greek. We understand that to mean Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, was Jesus. And the Word was with God. Meaning... In the very beginning, when God created the heavens and earth, Jesus was there face to face with the Father. But he, he now moves to say, and the Word was God. Here, it seems to be there is a distinction. The Word was with God. They were together, but now here it says, and the Word was God. It's like there's not a distinction. They're the same. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Meaning Jesus. And without Him, meaning Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. And so in Christianity, we believe strongly and firmly that when God creates the heavens and the earth and the birds that fly above the ground and the creatures in the water and the creatures on the land and the vegetation and the sun and the moon and stars, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit together created we have a youth pastor whose name is David Bond that was a very weak shout out for David Bond on my far left 
I think that was David who shouted out. And David has a little girl named Eliza who is three. He said we were on a road trip not long ago. And we were talking about where should we stop and eat. And so someone suggested Waffle House. Not one shout out for the Waffle House I noticed. Smothered, diced, and covered. No fans here, huh? And Eliza says, Daddy, you're being silly. You can't make a house out of waffles. He said, so we're continuing to drive in the conversation. We decided where we were going to eat. And Bethany says, his wife says, well, should we get it to go or are we going to go in and eat? Looking at time. And David's response was, no, I think we should eat it on the road. To which Elisa responds, you're being silly again, Daddy. You can't eat on the road. Somebody would run over us. (laughs) And so there's like these obvious things, right? And I think here there's these obvious things. What, what is the risk? What do we lose when we de-emphasize the Trinity? Even if we don't fully understand. I think the first obvious thing is that we risk an understanding of the divinity of Christ, of Jesus. See, a lot of people can say, you know what? I believe Jesus was a really good man. He was like a hippie before there were hippies. He was awesome. Long hair, sandals, you know, peace to everybody. Um, doing good, saying good things, telling everybody you ought to be kind, you ought to love, you ought to be compassionate, you should be forgiving. There's a lot of support for that kind of thinking in our world today. But that's not all he was. And, and there's the risk in saying that's, that's it. And, and completely missing the idea that he was not just a prophet and a good man, a hippie before his time who told us to love each other and be kind. Jesus is God. I, I liked that, what you just did. God came to earth and moved into one of our neighborhoods in order to save us. And if your only understanding of God is that He just seems to be kind of distant and He could be angry and He has power to zap whoever He wants, and you really don't know where the Spirit fits into all of it, then what kind of a relationship can you possibly have with a God that you perceive to be like that? Better question, who wants a relationship with that God? And Smith says, you want to know what's at risk? It's connectivity. It's relationship. And when you fully begin to understand the Trinity... Here's what happens. You become aware of a God who wants relationship with you. And just as the Trinity function in relationship together, God wants to function in relationship with you, and He wants you to function in relationship with other believers.
Jesus is more than a good man who had good words to teach. And God the Father is not distant. He and Jesus are the same. And He gave us His Spirit to just walk with us, to be with us, to lead us, to speak to us, to whisper to us. You know that voice? He's talking to you all the time. And today, I love this, we get to celebrate His presence together. So here's what I want you to do. Stand with me, and people are going to come in service, and as they do, I want you to know that in our church, we practice open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of this local church to receive the elements. All you have to be is sincere in your seeking God, okay? And so if you sincerely seek the Lord... We invite you to join us. In a moment, a tray is going to be passed by you. And you'll find two cups stacked together. That's not an accident. That's intentional. Take the stack, both cups. In the bottom cup, there's a piece of bread. You can put that in your hand. And then you can stack the cups back together if that's easiest for you. And then after everybody is served, holding a cup and holding bread together, then together we will all eat and drink. celebrate together the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.